0: Hi and welcome to my latest podcast. I'm super excited you're joining me as we go through the Gospel of John and we look at Jesus through the eyes of one of his best friends and we come across some incredible theological gems, some wonderful stories and just an amazing perspective that's really different from the other three Gospel writers. So buckle up and join me, Paul White, as we saunter through the book of John. Good morning dear friends. We are in a most holy chapter this morning. I almost tremble to kind of venture in. It's such a kind of oh, my challenging kind of moment in the life of Jesus and it's a, it's a difficult one to look at. Uh, so we're going to pray and ask him to be with us lord jesus we want you to be with us this morning as we consider you again today lord speak to us through this incredible book in your precious name amen so here we go so we're in chapter 18 of john's gospel and we've been having quite a journey through this incredible book and so today we come up to the sort of dramatic high point of the story really where Jesus is brought to trial good morning Adrian and George and Fran and and it is it's just profound it's difficult and painful because we love him and to see these things kind of happening to him is ah oh, man it's like they're happening to my best friend. So here we go. When Jesus had spoken these words, so remember he'd just done that incredible prayer that we all, well, many Christians around the world love so much, which um theologians refer to as Jesus's high priestly prayer. Um this is he's just prayed that and now they've gone across this little they're going to, about to cross over into the garden of Gethsemane. Good morning Rosemary and um Ruth and Chris great to see you. So when Jesus had spoken these words he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now the the, um, commentators say that at this time of the year with the Passover the river the brook would have been running red with blood from all the lambs it was that were being slaughtered for the Passover, which is quite a thought they reckon something like two hundred thousand lambs were slaughtered at about that kind of time in in jesus 's life they, It was something numbering about two hundred thousand lambs were slaughtered at the Passover for the Passover feast, so there was blood everywhere and it 's in this little river that they have to cross over to get into the garden which is such a kind of if you were a movie maker you'd have to show that wouldn't you you'd have to zoom in on the red water and it would be such a powerful um, metaphor for what's about to happen to Jesus and uh, so there's this garden which he and his disciples entered now Judas who betrayed him also knew the place for Jesus often met there with his disciples so it seems like kind of quite a nice place Jesus and the guys would hang out regularly maybe spend the evening together walking around talking about the kingdom maybe they stayed overnight there just slept out because it was warm and pleasant and easy to sleep out and so um Jesus often met there with his disciples, so Judas, verse 3, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Now, I, when I visualize this, I always think a oh, band of soldiers, here, yeah, maybe like half a dozen or so, still overkill, but kind of actually the Greek word suggests that it would be something more like maybe 600, because it's a technical term, a detachment of soldiers, is a technical term which was like a cohort which could be up to 600, it was part of a legion, and and you, or maybe even a thousand, and it could include people on horses with spears and all the whole lot, so it was like massively, Judas it, on um, on the one hand is kind of over um, specifying his troop requirement to the governors but at the same time he's not taking any chances but equally as we read he's underestimating Jesus by quite a long way and we'll see why in a second so Judas having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees went there with lanterns and torches and weapons apparently it was a full moon so it would have been bright and they probably wouldn't have needed the torches but it's just an incredible scene isn't it this huge show of strength and military power and muscle and Jesus with his little bunch of fishermen just kind of hanging out in the garden and so Jesus knowing that all this would happen to them to him came forward and said to them whom do you seek so he 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 was on schedule he knew exactly they would be arriving he knew exactly what was about to be to happen and so he is hes right there straight away the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep there he is he steps up he doesn't shove Peter or John forwards and let them do the discussion he steps forward to protect his disciples and to kind of deal with the moment and put himself in the frame so then Jesus knowing all that would happen to him came forward and said to them whom do you seek and they answered him Jesus of Nazareth Jesus said to them I am he now I understand from the commentators that the he is a trans translators device that they put in to make sense of the sentence but actually the Greek is something forgive my pronunciation it's something like ego yemi ego yemi so Right, he's saying, "I am." Now, this is so significant for John and for the disciples and for any Jews who were in earshot. He was um, using the same name that God had revealed Himself by to Moses, their ancestor, all those years ago, prior to bringing them out of slavery in Egypt. The "I am," we even use it. Who do you think you are? The big I am where the big I am is none other than God himself and Jesus here is adopting that name very intentionally on two these two occasions right here he's saying I am so he's not just saying I'm he here I am I'm he he's saying I am I am God I'm I'm the one who led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and right now I'm about to make a way to lead the whole world out of slavery to sin. This is a momentous occasion. This is utterly phenomenal. And so then what happens. He says I am he or I am. Judas who betrayed him was standing with them. And when Jesus said to him I am he. Same same word. Th- they drew back and fell to the ground. Now if you think. Right. Even a hundred soldiers even 20 soldiers all spontaneously falling to ground falling to the ground at the same time that is a moment isn't it jesus says i am and boom this whole detachment of soldiers are flat on their faces before god come on somebody let's hear an amen out there oh my life this is just incredible so Judas has has on the one hand from a natural point of view he's so overestimated the resistance that he's going to sorry friend he's going to experience from Jesus but on the other hand he's underestimated the power of Jesus in in just in one little millisecond as Jesus speaks he disarms every power, every weapon that is brought against him in that moment. And we know, don't we, that Jesus could just with one word have flattened and annihilated the whole Roman army if he had wanted to, just with one word. And so it it really underlines the the importance that Jesus is voluntarily going ahead with this this is not something where they've come with all this strength to seize him and he's had to bow to their superiority and their they're, they've outnumbered him it's nothing to do with that Jesus is voluntarily surrendering to the will of the father which is that he would lay down his life for the sheep he would lay down his life for you and me half-less. Um so so um when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again. (laughs) It's like he's playing with them just a little bit, isn't he? He's making them realize who's in charge in this situation. It is not them with all their strength and all their officialdom and pomp, and Judas with his betrayal and his oh, is they don't hold the keys to power. It is Jesus himself. And so he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. I told you that I am. Good morning, Anne. Great to see you. And so if you seek me, let these men go. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's not going to let anyone take the hit for him. He is there. I'm here to give my life. This is what I came into the world to do. So if I told you that I am He, so if, if you seek me, let these men go. Now it's a legitimate question. Jesus knew they were there for Him, but it's a legitimate question. They could have been coming um, to arrest somebody else, I guess. Anyway, we'll see the story. So, um, But He wants them to say it, He wants it to be clear what's going on here. And so. Um this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those you gave me. I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword. We know that from the other Gospels. We looked at Luke, didn't we, um, previously? And we know that Peter has a sword. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put down, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup the father has given me? So um, is interesting. Again, the commentator David Guzik says that for Peter to have chopped off the servants right here, if Peter was right handed, that would have been quite difficult. You know, I mean, it's not impossible, is it? But it's quite possible and seems likely that he went for him from behind and maybe intended to split his head like a coconut with his sword, but actually missed. I'm Sorry, I'm not laughing. Missed and got his ear. And I mean, it's kind of I, I think John's detail is so compelling. He knows exactly who it is. It's Malchus. John is knows all these people. Good morning, Mike. Good to see you. And he's reporting as an eyewitness. He's given evidence. This is his testimony. This is his sworn affidavit. And he's saying, this is what happened, guys. And I know these people. And here's just another bit of evidence you can check up. Go and talk to Malchus. Ask him about his ear. How's his ear doing? And um, so... Peter swipes off and this is interesting as well because Jesus doesn't seem unduly bothered about the sword when Peter says I've got a sword he says oh that's enough in Luke's account it's but I think the point of the sword is that it's redundant it's not gonna be how Jesus's kingdom comes and so in a sense it's kind of like a walk on part let's have a sword in the thing just to show that this isn't relevant. This is not gonna be how Jesus gets the job done. And actually he just completely says, Peter, put it away, stop it now. You're gonna get yourself in trouble. And sticks the ear back on. Um John doesn't tell us about the healing but Luke does. And so verse 12 and so he says I'm gonna drink the cup. You know, shall I not drink the cup the Father's given me? I'm gonna go ahead with this and follow it all the way through. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas who was the same high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Now Annas was known to be a cruel, vindictive, nasty, grasping kind of guy and he seems to be the power broker and independent historical records apparently um, all say that the household of Annas were just nasty, nasty people who were controlling power and very cruel and heartless and so he seems to have maybe set his son-in-law up to be the high priest that year And it was all done by families and connections. It was very, very corrupt. And they were very political and um, very cynical in their use of power. And they wanted to use the Roman kind of muscle to get there to further their own political um, aspirations and dreams and so on. And so but Caiaphas had prophesied inadvertently that it was better it would be expedient that one man should die for the people but in a sense it also John pops that in there and it's just like saying this this thing is already decided the judgment has already been made they've already decided it would be better to let Jesus be the fall guy and let everybody else be spared a Roman kind of um action to quell some rebellion that's growing up and so they were seeing jesus as a political threat and a threat to their comfortable little hegemony with the roman empire they were sort of cozied up with these with the roman um, powers and they knew how to manage the system and get what they wanted out of it and so they're like um And now Caiaphas is just thinking, boy, it's much better that one person dies. And so the judgment's already been made, really. Anyway, verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple since that disciple was known to the high priest. Now, generally, it's assumed that's John who's writing this. Um, gospel account he seems to have known all these people and so he knows malchus and he knows their names and he will see a bit more in a second so simon peter followed jesus and so did another disciple since that disciple was known to the high priest he entered with jesus into the courtyard of the high priest so john gets in and but peter stood outside the door so john seems to have kind of been tagging along somewhere reasonably close to jesus which Kind of is nice because we, I love that John calls himself the beloved disciple, but I would be sad if John was nowhere to be seen and he claims to be the beloved disciple. I think, hmm, kind of a lot of talk, John, but not much action. But John is trying to stay close and seems to be allowed into this courtyard for this, what is essentially a kangaroo court. It's a hastily kind of convened court in the courtyard of Caiaphas's house verse 16 but Peter who stood outside the door so sorry Peter stood outside the door so the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in the servant girl at the door said to Peter you are also not one sorry you also are not one of this man's disciples are you so I think the syntax is a little bit complicated here And he said, I'm not. But he could have just said, yeah, I am. I'm with John. Yeah, we're just here to see what happens, you know, or it's that kind of first. But I think it probably Peter was a bit worried about maybe even being done for chopping the guy's ear off. All kinds of things. Anyway, he's afraid, isn't he? Let's let's kind of be nice to Peter, but he's afraid and he's bottled it in spite of all his strong (laughs) (laughs) protestation saying i'm just gonna uh, uh, come you know i'll die for you jesus and all the rest of it and so um he says i don't know him i don't he says no i'm not one of his disciples verse 18 now the the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves so maybe jesus wasn't going to sleep in the garden because it was nice and warm but anyway there we go it was a cold night And so they've got this charcoal fire going and they're all standing around warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. And I think there are some paintings, aren't there? of Peter stood by the fire, Jesus exposed to this horrible trial number one, which is no trial at all really. And the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. So this is Caiaphas doing it now. And Jesus answered him, I've already spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together and I have said nothing in secret. Good morning, Avril. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. And when he said these things one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him if what I said is wrong bear witness about the wrong but if I said what is right why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas the high priest. So there's this kind of we're going to find out we want to get all the details about your your disciples who your kind of company is who you're hanging around with who's also your who are also your co-conspirators and tell us what you tell us your doctrine with Jesus saying listen I've told you I've made it plain I've never kept this a secret I've always been in the public place talking about the kingdom of heaven if you would just listen and of course they knew exactly what he'd been saying because they were tracking him so closely everywhere he went they were pestering him with the same kind of questions um day in and day out so they knew what Jesus had been saying but the truth was they did not have a case not a proper legal case against Jesus and so um, uh, it's really interesting as well because I think sometimes is there enough evidence to convict me of a misdemeanor based on preaching the gospel is there enough evidence to put me away (laughs) on some crime or other well at the moment probably not but I have said some things that I think are are true to the scripture just as I've gone through the the bible doing the saunters I've tried to be as clear and unambiguous about what the bible says and how I understand it and be clear and stand by it so that One day, if there is ever a case where they need to try me for being a Christian, there'll be plenty of evidence to put me away. I don't want them to be scratching around for evidence to condemn me for being a Christian. I want it to be overwhelming. I want there to be such a body of evidence. I'd be like, well, where do we start? This guy is just always spouting off about Jesus and kind of preaching from the Bible. What is he like? Let's do, him. you know what I mean? I don't want it to be like, oh, yeah, he might be a Christian. <clears throat> anyway, so Jesus was the same. It was very public, very open. And um, so he says, I've done nothing or said nothing in secret. And the guy strikes him. Good morning, Pat and Mike. The guy strikes him on the face, some random person watching. And it's that kind of first... Mm, it's that first violation of his physical person isn't it before they all start to join in and abuse him and so on and it's that kind of this the first crossing of that line of physical abuse of Jesus and um, then Annas sends him bound to Caiaphas the high priest so that's his kind of first trial Caiaphas is his second trial Um now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself so they said to him you also are not one of his disciples are you so they it's a kind of funny way of asking a question isn't it you're not one is what they're saying is you're not one of his disciples are you yeah that kind of thing where they're giving him a chance to deny it and he denied it and said i'm not one of the servants of the high priest listen to John's special inside knowledge, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? So this guy, again, John knows these people and he knows this is a relative of Malchus, the guy whose ear was chopped off and now is healed. And um, and Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. And I wonder if Peter was kind of I'm let's be kind maybe he was concerned that he was going to get dumb for chopping the guy's ear off or something I don't know but he anyway he he failed didn't he he denied Jesus and then at once a rooster crowed and you can imagine when he heard it it would have been like a dagger in his own heart he would have just been like man I hate myself I wish I could die let me find a." (sighs) oh spike to bang my head on and um he said he just just denied him didn't he he had the chance right verse 20 oh I can't see my glasses (laughs) 28 and they led Jesus from a house from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters it was early morning and they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. This is just the total hypocrisy, isn't it? They're about to take Jesus to the governor, the Roman governor's house um, or headquarters, the praetorium, and they don't want to go in because if they go in they won't be able to eat the Passover because they'll be defiled and yet they're about to, oh my goodness, they're, they're about to hand over to be murdered the innocent son of God himself who actually the Passover is all about and of course this whole thing is about the Passover and Jesus himself is what the Passover was always about. It was always looking forward to the lamb that God would prepare to take away the sins of the world, the sins of the Jewish nation, the sins of you and me, that he would be our Passover lamb and say right there on this eve of the Passover where these Jews are more fussy about remaining religiously clean for the Passover festival they're busy doing the dirty on God's very own gift to save them right and so uh but so Pilate went outside to them and said what accusation do you bring against this man so he Pilate's actually going out to these guys who are outside the gate And they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die so Jesus had talked about the son of man being lifted up everyone seemed to understand that that was referring to being crucified there would be no way Jesus could be crucified by the Jews they did not have the legal power to do that they needed the Romans to do it they needed Pilate's kind of signature on the the uh, death warrant um, so that that could go ahead and they needed the the um, Roman soldiers to carry out the horrible deed and so uh, they so they basically they've brought him to Pilate just to get rid of him so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him are you the king of the Jews And Jesus answered do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me so Jesus is in wants to hear from Pilate where he got that from so that Pilate can be because Jesus is not prepared to deal in shady kind of terms he wants it to be clear he wants everybody who's watching to understand precisely what's going on here and so he says do you say this of your own accord or did the others say it about me and Pilate answered am I a Jew yet your own your own nation sorry you Am I a Jew, your own nation, and the chief priests have delivered you over to me? What have you done? So he's saying, all right, I'm not going to get into all this Jewish rubbish. What is going on? What have you done? Um... And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. So he's saying, come on, you conceive yourself. I came here without a fight. My, my guys had a sword. You know, you got the evidence. The guy had his ear chopped off. But actually, that's not how I do it. That's not how my kingdom is going to come into this world. This isn't my king. In fact, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not in the same way this world operates my kingdom does not operate in this way um it's not of this world it's not like the kingdoms of this world my and he says um but my my kingdom is not from the world and then Pilate said to him so you are a king and Jesus answered you say that I'm a king for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? Profound, isn't it? I mean, Jesus is saying, "Right, my kingdom is not of this world. It's a different order. It's a different order. It's of something. It's something different." And he said, "But actually, for this purpose, I came into the world to bear witness to the truth." And Jesus had already said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." But he's saying, basically, anyone who really wants the truth will listen to my voice. Anyone who is honest in their pursuit of the truth, Pilate. Well listen to my voice, Pilate is the judge, he should be interested in the truth but we know that Pilate had a very poor relationship with the truth, it was sketchy to say the least. He was known, he was famous or infamous for sending people to death without a trial, that was one of the things he was famous for. And so this is kind of a very shallow trial, but it is at least nonetheless a trial. And so Pilate says to him, what's the truth? And that, of course, is the voice of the postmodern era that we live in, isn't it? What is truth? It's all relative. You know, you live your own truth. What rubbish? There's only one truth, and that is the truth. You can't live your own truth. There's only one truth. And Jesus is saying, I've come to bear witness to that, actually, Pilate. And after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Now, this is really, really important. This is the this is the eve of, the, this is the morning of the Passover. And across the city, these 200,000 lambs have been examined by a priest who said, there is no defect in this lamb. This lamb is okay to be used in the Passover. And right now... The the highest authority in the land, basically the Roman governor, is looking at the Lamb of God and saying, I find no fault in this man. I find no guilt in him. He is a spotless lamb. Legally, he is spotless. Morally, he's spotless. He is the guy for the job. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he said, so he tells that to the Jews. He said, I find no fault in this man. So basically, it's over to you. If you're going to kill him, you're going to be killing an innocent man. Just be clear. Let's everyone be clear. This is now a legal matter. You are condemning an innocent man to death. Verse 39 but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover, so do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? So he's saying, I can release him. I've got that, we've got that custom, we've got that understanding between us that I'll release a prisoner, someone who's condemned to death, even at the Passover. Let's release him, let's release this guy because he's innocent. And they cried out again, Not this man. But Barabbas, now Barabbas was a robber, that's being kind to Barabbas, Barabbas was a bit of a villain all round, but there we have it, so there's the Lamb of God, he's been declared innocent, even by the highest authority in the land, even by the secular authority, and now he's been exchanged for a robber and a villain, who's been given his freedom. Wow that is such a powerful story because right now even today Jesus has been given in exchange for you and for me regardless of our history. He is the one who dies so that you and I get to go free. Have an amazing day you guys. If anyone wants to talk to me about giving their life to Jesus you know where to find me. Have an amazing day. I love you guys.